Wonderful. Thank you. Thank you. I'm going to ask you, if you would, hold your Bible up in the air, and uh, let's make a good confession tonight. Say, this is my Bible. I am what it says I am. I have what it says I have. I can do everything, absolutely everything my Bible says I can do. By His Spirit, this is God speaking to me. All right. I want you to open it up to the book of Luke, chapter 24, with me. Luke, chapter 24. And... uh, I'm just going to, some things the Lord really had uh, been impressing on me this last week and uh, um, was in preparation. Sometimes the, um, just kind of give you my own personal issues, holidays are real tough times for me to come up with messages because I'm, it just, you know, I mean, you all know about Jesus rose on the morning, right? I mean, that's, uh, you know, so you're telling stories that people are familiar with, and, and sometimes you can feel like, well, how can we make this interesting? And uh, well, it's not up to us to make it interesting. It's up to the Holy Spirit to make it interesting. Amen. And, uh, but I'll struggle every, every year at Easter time. I'll struggle um, at Christmas time, you know, for the Christmas Eve service. It's, a, it's weeks of agony and prayer and just asking God, what can I say to reach your people, to help your people? And if you've ever preached before, you know that, that the, the struggle that goes with that. But um, the Lord was really impressing on me this week about Peter and um, some things that, uh, to look at about the Apostle Peter. And in Luke chapter 24 and verse 1, if you're there with me, and we're going to just read down through the, verse, the, the first 12 verses there. And it says, Now on the first day of the week, very early in the morning, they came unto the sepulcher, bringing the spices which they had prepared and certain others with them. And you know, uh, just if you look up for a minute, we don't know when Christ rose up. It probably wasn't in the morning. It was, the Sabbath is over right now. So if you were to go by Sabbath time, sundown, the Sabbath would be over. When the Sabbath is over, it's the new day. He could have rose any time that evening. He could have rose any time. We don't know that it happened in the morning, Okay. We just know he wasn't in the tomb whenever they came out in the morning, all right? So um, we we just, we need to recognize that with Christ. So uh, it says, and they found the stone rolled away from the sepulcher and they entered in. They found not the body of the Lord Jesus and it came to pass as they were much perplexed. There about, behold, two men stood by them in shining garments and as they were afraid and bowed down their faces to the earth, they said unto them, why do you seek the living among the dead. He's not here, but is risen. Remember how he spake unto you when he was yet in Galilee, saying, The Son of Man must be delivered into the hands of sinful men and be crucified, and the third day rise again. And they remembered his words. So they then, at that moment, they're remembering what Christ had said. And returned from the sepulcher and told all these things <clears throat> unto the eleven and to all the rest. And it was Mary Magdalene and Joanna and Mary, the mother of Jesus, of James, excuse me, and other women that were with them, which told these things unto the apostles. And verse 11 says, and their words seemed to them as idle tales, like they were telling a fairy tale. And they believed them not. So nobody in the room believed it, okay? Nobody in the room believed it. And then arose Peter and ran unto the sepulcher and stooping down, he beheld the linen cloths laid by themselves and departed, wondering in himself at that which had come to pass. So Peter leaves, 
trying to figure out what's going on. Now they're, you know, they're reminded about what the Lord had said about three days and I'll rise, but they're still wondering. And as you can see that Easter Sunday, Resurrection Sunday morning was not a great time of celebration for these guys. It was a great time of confusion for them because nobody could quite figure out what was going on here, what had just taken place. And Peter, most of all, is in the greatest struggle of all of the apostles because Peter has denied the Lord and he has struggled with this. In fact, the Lord had spoke to him in chapter 22 and verse 31, if you have your Bible there with you and you want to look at this. But he had told him, he said, Peter, you know, Peter's like, Lord, whatever you're going to go through, I'm in this with you. I'm part of your kingdom. We're going to get through this together. I'm by your side. And the Lord said, look, man, that's not the way it's going to play out here. And he said in verse 31 of chapter 22, and the Lord said, Simon, Simon, indeed, Satan has asked for you or desires you that he could sift you as wheat. The enemy, the adversary is going to, is asking for permission to sift you as wheat. But he said, look, I've prayed for you. I have prayed for you that your faith should not fail. When did he pray for him? Prior to all that Peter was about to go through and prior to everything Jesus was about to go through through his crucifixion, he says, but I have prayed for you. I have prayed for you. And notice this next part here, that your faith should not fail. That your faith should not fail. And it's interesting, this word fail in the Greek language means that your faith wouldn't die. That this would not take you, that this adversity that you're about to enter into, this difficulty, this difficult path that you're about to walk on, that you would, not, you, you would not give up the faith. You would not back off on the faith, that your faith would not fail. And then he says, and when you re have returned to me, strengthen your brethren. So the Lord prophesies to him and says, look, and when you have returned, in fact, in one translation, it says, when you are converted, strengthen your brethren. So he's saying, you're coming back, man. So no matter how, listen, no matter how bad it gets, the Lord's already saying, you're coming back. You're coming back. You know, we all face adversity in our lives and we all face times when our faith is tested and we're struggling. And it's not God that's testing our faith. There's an adversary that doesn't want us to believe one thing that the Bible says. There's a devil that doesn't want us to believe. It. And because of that, the adversary is asking for your life so that your faith would fail. Remember that Jesus told us in the parables in, the, in, in Mark 4, he said, the sower sows the word, and immediately Satan comes to steal the word. Why? Because the word produces faith, and if you get faith, you're trouble to the devil. Amen? Look at your neighbor and say he's talking to you right now. You become a problem because, see, now you're not going the whole course of the world. You're going the whole course of God's kingdom. And when you start moving into God's kingdom, you're giving the devil trouble because he doesn't want the kingdom to succeed. So Jesus says, look, you're going to face adversity. You've said all this. He says, and look, I'm telling you right now, you're going to betray me three times, Peter. Peter's like, no way. That's not going to happen. But if you well know the adversity hit, and Peter, one time after another time after another time, he betrays the Lord. He gives in 
and conforms to the environment that he's in. He conforms to the, the people that are around him. He, he, doesn't wanna, he doesn't wanna stand out. He doesn't wanna be a preacher. He doesn't wanna be associated with Christ. And so he betrays the Lord in, in such an incredible way. And uh, it, it's overwhelming to him in the long run. But in this story that we read about Peter, it's like Peter runs to the tombs because he's looking he wants to see, do I have a second chance? Is there an opportunity for make, me to make this right? Boy, haven't we all felt that way at one time or another? That, man, I just thank God he's a God of second chances and third chances and fourth chances. And can I get a good amen? amen. You know, conformity is such a difficult thing. You know, it's... Uh, Norman Vincent Peale said this, conformity is one of the most fundamental dishonesties of all. When we reject our specialness and water down our God-given individuality and uniqueness, we begin to lose our freedom. The conformist is in no way a free man. He has to follow the herd. You know, that's such an, and all of us can think of some time in our life when we conform to an environment that we did not agree to. When we gave in to family members who might have been ridiculing the gospel, we're just like, okay, I don't want to tread in there. Or we might have been around people who were making, you know, if everybody, I remember back in the, in the day, and some of you will remember this too, back in the early, um, in the early 60s, that um, everybody was talking about bell bottoms, you know, you got to wear bell bottoms. I'm like, I saw a sailor wearing bell bottoms before they were popular. And I mean, you know, sailors, they wore the big, you know, they wore the big bell bottoms. And everybody was like, you got to get, and what happens, what happened is, is that I looked at it and at first look, I thought that is the most ridiculous thing I've ever seen. Why would I wear baggy pants at the bottom? <laughs> right? But what ends up happening? The more your friends start wearing it, wearing them, the more people start wearing it, the commercials are around them, the stores are putting them out, now they're popular. Cool people are wearing them. And it, see, it's dangerous when cool people are influencing how you dress. And I can't tell you some of the crazy stuff, and you probably could testify to this as well, the crazy stuff that we've worn through the years just to fit in with what everybody else is doing. Can you say leisure? Can you say leisure suit? So, <laughs> Peter conforms. He gives in to what everybody. He gives in to the persecution, and you know it's so overwhelming to him that he ends up broken through it all. In the end, whenever he hits that final point where he realizes that he has done exactly what Jesus said he would do, at that very moment he's overwhelmed with grief. I've let down the Lord. In fact, in Matthew 26 and verses 74 and 75, it says, immediately the cock crew and Peter remembered the word of Jesus, which said unto him, before the cock crow, you shall deny me three times. And then it says, and he went out and he wept bitterly. It's a hard thing when you know that you've disappointed somebody that you respect so much, that you've let them down, you failed them. And Peter is overwhelmed in his brokenness. But you know, the really incredible thing about God is God likes to fix broken things. And he takes broken lives and he likes to turn those broken lives around. 
And so to me, as we look at this whole resurrection story of Jesus and, and Peter running to the, to the tomb to see if he's there and walking away bewildered, I think there's just some interesting things that I, truthfully I had never seen before and did not realize as I began to study out this whole, this whole testimony about Peter. Um, it's interesting about Peter that he uh, actually had his own personal um, time that he saw Jesus resurrected, and I had never realized this. You know, we tend to think about, it's, it's a little hard to play out how all of the resurrection appearances happened, uh, because we know the women went to the tomb, and of course, uh, you know, that they did not see Jesus, but that they actually saw an angel that was there. And we also know that Mary, at one point, saw Jesus and thought he was the gardener. And then, he real, real, then she realized that it, was, that it was actually Mary. Most of the women that came back to testify to the apostles about Jesus being resurrected did not see Jesus. They were just testifying that the angel said that he has risen. So as we walk through this, uh, this whole story, we see that, that the angel had said one, in one place, which I really think is really powerful, that um, he had said to, in Mark, Chapter 16 and verses 6 and 7, he said unto them, Be not affrighted, you seek Jesus of Nazareth, which was crucified. He is risen, he is not here. Behold the place where they laid him, but go your way and tell his disciples. But notice the next line there, if you're looking at your Bible. The next line says, Tell his disciples and Peter, and Peter, that he goes before you into Galilee, and there you shall see him as he said unto you. Now, Jesus does not appear to the rest of the apostles until that evening. Actually, he doesn't appear until after he's appeared to two guys that are out on the Emmaus Road. And so he appears to them as he sits down to dinner with them. But then after that, he, these guys, they run back to town, which was about seven miles away from where the disciples were at. They run seven miles back to town to tell them all about it. And when they get there to tell them, Jesus appears in the room. So it really isn't even until Sunday evening that Jesus appears to the, appears to the disciples, to the, to the mass. But there's a line in Luke, and it just kept bugging me as I looked at this, because you can't find any place in the scripture where it talks about this occurrence happening. And in, in, it says there in verse 34, chapter 24 of the book of Luke in verse 34, it says, um, saying, the Lord is risen indeed, and he hath appeared to Simon. Paul later on in 1 Corinthians 15 talks about the Lord appearing uh, to, uh, to Cephas or to, to, to Simon, again, to Peter. And, but yet we don't have any place where that's written. So somewhere during the whole course of things happening here, Peter has run to the tomb. Not, Jesus is not there. And then by the time that we get to the evening, Peter and Jesus have had had some time together, but yet we have, no, we have no record of that happening. We have it happening with the woman that Jesus appeared to in the garden, but no record of Jesus appearing to Peter. And maybe, you know, maybe that's not a, a big deal to you, but I, I, I think it's just interesting that there's really no record of it. And I really was praying and just saying, Lord, you know, what's the deal with that? Why, why don't you, why wasn't that recorded in scripture for us to see what happened, you know? 
and because it was between him and Peter. All the disciples betrayed the Lord, but Peter struggled the most with it because he was warned this is what's going to happen. Can you imagine what Saturday was like for Peter? Not a good day. Not a good day. I mean, I can't, you know, I don't know if you've ever been in a situation where you've cried till you couldn't cry anymore. You know, when you're just exhausted from it. And then they're afraid. Well, maybe he is gone for good. And the last thing, you know, one of the things that I've really tried to do, you can't always do this. But you all, I, I strive in my life to never have any regret with my loved ones, you know, before they're gone. If there's something to say, I want to say it before they're gone. I don't want them to ever wonder about, you know, if there's something that we need to forgive, let's forgive it now. Let's not, you know, life's too short, amen? Life is just way too short. We don't know what's going to happen. And I, you know, I can remember I did that with my mom. And I mean, I sat down with my mom when she was dealing with cancer. And I said, Mom, is everything all right between you? And I I just say, if there's anything, if I've disappointed you as a son, if I've, you know, if I've let you down, I just, I want to, you know, and I knew it could happen. You know, you don't know what you've done. I mean, (laughs) we really don't, you know, through the years. And we don't know what family members hold on us about stuff. And I did the same thing with my dad. I said, Dad, everything is okay. You know I love you, Dad. I love you deeply. And that bygones are bygones. No matter what pain there was, no matter what, that's all in the past. You know, I've tried to do that with all of our, um, with all of our relatives because all of my family members, I did that with my aunt who just passed away here recently. I just think it, that for Peter, it had to be so hard for him because the last thing that he heard himself saying before the Lord was drug off and crucified was that he heard the cock crow and the prophetic word that Jesus had said, you're going to deny me. You're going to face adversity and you're not going to, you're not going to deal with it well. But I want you to remember that no matter how hard it gets, Peter, I'm praying for you. I'm praying for you. I'm still with you in this in my prayer to get through this. Isn't that powerful? That you're going to get through this and when you do, you're going to be converted. You're going to turn. Your heart's going to turn. And when it does turn, he says, I want you to encourage all of your brethren. I want you to get their hearts encouraged about the things that I have done for them. It's, it's to me, for Peter, that desperate moment, I, if we could just see him running to the tomb, if we could see how he responded whenever the, they came back, the women came back and said, uh, the Lord appeared and he told us to tell you disciples and to make sure that we told you, Peter. I mean, for Peter, don't you think that was like, wow, that's so awesome. Okay, I got a chance here. You know, there's just like, this, this could really work out. This could, this could really change. This could be a really good thing. You know, I remember years ago, uh, being in the, I was at the uh, uh, Episcopal Church, and man, I was struggling so bad with just failing. You know, I don't know if you've ever promised the Lord you wouldn't do something, and you went back and did the same stupid thing you promised you wouldn't do. And uh, I was struggling, man. I, I love God. I mean, I love God then. I love God now, but 
I had the hardest time breaking free from this sin in my life. I mean, it was just, and it doesn't, it's not any of your business what it is. It's just, it was a sin that I was dealing with. And I'd pray and I'd read scriptures and I'd study and I'd try to, I'd read books and I still struggled and struggled. And, and one night, I remember I was, I was really, really struggling. And some of you have heard me tell this testimony and I the church where I was serving, helping at at the time, I knew they kept the front door unlocked to the, the Episcopal church and you could go in and it would be quiet and they'd have, of course, the red candle lit up in the front and you would go in and you could pray. And I was like, man, I got to get to church and pray. I just, I'm so overwhelmed with this. And uh, so I went in the church and I'm sitting there in the church and I'm, and, and man, I'm just crying out to God. God, I've failed you. I've disappointed you. I've let you down. I felt just, I'm sure in many ways, just like Peter felt, maybe not of the magnitude, but in the same category. Can we say it like that? And uh, man, I'm struggling and, and I'm just telling the Lord, God, and I'm, I know I'm not worthy. I just plead with you to forgive me. And, and Lord, I'm sorry. I know I said I wouldn't do this, but I did it again. And I failed you and, 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 all of a sudden, man, while I'm, sit, while I'm in the sanctuary, the door over here on my left side opens up. And I know that's locked. And a guy comes walking out of the, the side. Now, this is late at night. And a guy comes walking out, and he looks like Charles Manson. Hair wild everywhere, beard, you know, beard, mustache. And I mean, he's, he just looks like a wild man. And I'm just like, oh my gosh, what in the world is that? I'm dead. I'm going to die here, right? And so he comes walking out, and, and, as he's, and he's standing out there, and I, I look over at him, and I, and I said to him, I said, uh, uh, can I help you? And, um, you know, and he said, uh, well, I don't have any place to sleep. And uh, so I said, well, you know, there's lots of pews here. You could lay down on one of those and go to sleep. And, and uh, he said, um, he says, well, you know, thank you. Thank you for that. And then he said, what's your name? And I said, it's Rick. And he said, Rick, I love you. And it's like that. He turned and was gone. He was gone. And when I got out in the car, and nobody ever went back through, the, the door was locked. The guy's gone. I'm just like, what? wait. You know, and everybody thinks like when things like that happens that you're, you're, you have pristine memory and clarity, and you're like, Oh, it's it's an angel, or it's Jesus, or it's a you know it's 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 I I got it. I know what that I know what's going on. I'm cool, right? That isn't really what happens. What happens is is that you go into this moment of doubt and belief all at the same time. Is this really what's happening right now? And and what is this? And is that just a guy? And is it? So I get out in the car and I'm sitting there. I'm think I'm trying to figure out should I go home and call the police, right? <laughs> So I'm thinking, and well, I go home, and, and my mom, who's a, pretty, who's a pretty spiritual lady, she knew her Bible anyways, you know, she's like, well, you know, uh, it could have been an angel. And I thought to myself, then I started going back through the words. Why would a stranger tell you that they loved you? Why would a stranger care? And you know, I felt like that night to me anyways that I got a second chance and a third chance and a fourth chance. You know, tonight you might feel like, you know, you're just, you've, you've disappointed God. 
Let me, let me tell you, God is not disappointed in you. He's not. He's not, looks down and goes, oh, yeah, well, I got all, I got nine really great sheep, but that one over there, right? Right? No, no. He loves, he loves you. And what we have to realize in Peter's story is this great redemptive and restorative power of Christ that in that moment of Peter's absolute collapse and failure, God had already made a way for him to come back. You know, God is a million steps ahead of us. He's a million steps ahead of you. I mean, you and I, we just think like, well, he's just reacting to what, let me tell you, God is not reacting to what you're doing. God is a million steps ahead of you, planning restoration. Your kids that have walked away from God, God's, a, God's got a million steps ahead of them to get them back on track. Don't ever think that he's not working in your behalf. He's absolutely working in your behalf. See, the devil tries to sift you as wheat, thinking nothing's going to change, nothing. What did Peter think? What was taking his faith out? I failed. There's no hope. I can't get out of this. There's nothing to be done. God, the devil's trying to destroy and beat your faith down, but God is saying, look, I've prayed for you, and you're going to come through this. In fact, I'm going to use this adversity in your life and when I use it, I'm not causing it, but I'm going to use it. And as I use that adversity, I'm going to make you stronger and you go back and you strengthen your brethren. I don't know if you've ever heard the story. It's, I was reading, reading it earlier this morning. It's so powerful. The, the, you know, the, the, um, the U.S. codfish, you know what a codfish is, cod, that has really, it really built the economy on the East Coast in a lot of ways, the, the codfish did. But they wanted to be able to export it, but they couldn't figure out how to do it to other countries to make, you know, to get it out into other countries because they put it on ice and the codfish, by the time it got to where it was going, even though it had been frozen, it had lost all its flavor. And then they thought, well, what we'll do is we'll put it in brine and that'll preserve it till it gets over there. And so they put it in the salt water. By the time it got over there, it tasted nasty. It wasn't any good. So they were like, we don't know what to do. They couldn't figure out how to get it. I mean, people in the U.S. were getting it, but it couldn't go very far because it couldn't, if it wasn't fresh, nobody could enjoy it. So this guy came up with this thought. He, thought, he said, you know what we'll do? We'll put the codfish's number one adversary in the tank with it. We'll put it in the tank with it, which is a catfish. So they put a catfish in the tank with the codfish all these codfish. And they said that they could transport them all the, way across the, all the way across the ocean. And when the codfish would get to the other side, the codfish would be totally fresh. Because in the adversity, the codfish stayed fresh. Now you think of how that applies to your life. Now look, I know nobody likes adversity and I don't like it either. But let me tell you something. Adversity gets you on your knees. Adversity gets you before the throne. Adversity gets you to get your confession straightened out. Adversity gets you to give when it hurts. Adversity gets you to read your Bible, take communion, 
ask for help. Can I get a good amen? Does God cause adversity? No. But does God use adversity? You better believe he does. And he did it here with Peter. Why didn't Jesus just say, and I have prayed, and now he can't do what he wants to do? Right? Why didn't he say that? I mean, you know, Jesus, don't you, you know, Jesus loves me. This I know for the Bible tells me so. So, Jesus, if you really love me, then you would stop adversity. But let's, let's just talk about what your life ends up like without adversity. Well, I, can, I can't talk about you, but I could talk about the, the, the Israelites, couldn't we? We could talk about what happened with them. Things got prosperous, blessed. They couldn't make it 40. They couldn't make it to one jubilee year. They couldn't make it 49. Is that right? Yeah, 49 years. They couldn't make it 49 years to the 50th year. They could not stay out of sin and paganism and idolatry for 49 years. Couldn't do it. The kids couldn't do it. They couldn't do it. Nobody could do it. So every 40, within a 40, they got like up, I think what I tell you, they got up to like 43 years one time and then, nope, turned away. And that's in Jerusalem where the temple was. That's in the, but when adversity hit, what did the Israelites look like? On their knees, in the face of God, things got, things got, um, <clears throat> got real serious all of a sudden, right? So, when Peter faces this difficulty in his life, Jesus sees the bigger picture. And I just want you to remember this tonight as you leave. The bigger picture for Peter was there's a resurrection. You're going to come out of this. And when you do, you're going to be stronger than you were before you went into it. You're going to be stronger. And I'm not going to stop every little thing that's coming against your life. I'm going to be, I'm praying for you to get through it. I'm praying for you to face it. I'm praying for you to have faith and not give up in the midst of it. That's how I'm praying for you. And you're going to get through this. So now, now, now I prayed. So now my, I believe in my prayer. So let me prophesy to you now. When you come through this, encourage some people around you about it that they're going to get through their deal too. Amen. Amen. Encourage some folks around you. They can get through it as well. That's the power of the resurrection for Peter. And that's what impacted his life so deeply. And, um, you know, I was thinking about how that for Peter, he never really in the, in the, in the, in his epistle really goes into any kind of depth about the resurrection. Paul does, but Peter really doesn't talk a whole lot about it. But there was one verse that I thought just was so powerful, and I want to close with this tonight. And uh, it's in 2 Peter, and it's chapter 3 and verse 9. So you're going to be towards the end of, of the, the last epistle. But listen to this, 2 Peter 3, 9. And uh, he says, The Lord is not slack concerning his promise, as some men count slackness, but is long-suffering to usward. I think that's a lesson he learned on resurrection morning. God is much more long-suffering with me than I am with me. Don't you find that to be true with yourself? He said, but is long-suffering to us were not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to a place of repentance. That's God's great plan. God is good. God is the God of promise. He keeps his word 
even when that seems impossible, even when the circumstances seem to point to the opposite, God always keeps his word. Tonight, friend, if you've failed the Lord, I have good news for you. There's forgiveness. If you've compromised your faith, there's good news for you. Redemption. If you've betrayed the Lord, there's good news. He is alive. And he's here for us. And he's ready to receive us anytime we're ready to come to him. Will you pray with me? Father, tonight, Lord God, I know it's so hard for us sometimes because we look at ourselves and think, why in the world would you want me? But yet, God, in your great loving kindness, you have extended a hand to us, to me. Your loving kindness truly, Lord God, is better than life. As the psalmist said, my lips will praise you, thus will I bless you, God. I will lift up my hands in your sanctuary and say thank you, God, for forgiving all my sins, washing away all my iniquities, all my promises that I have failed on, all the times that I knew to do right and still did wrong. You and your great grace and goodness, Lord God loved me and redeemed me. May this message about Peter, Lord God, this love that you showed Peter who felt so deep in a hole, Lord God, that he didn't think he could ever get out. May we all, Lord God, experience that same love in our lives to know, God, your goodness and your greatness towards us by his example that you redeem us. Thank you, Father God, for loving us, for helping us, for strengthening us. Now may we, Lord God, go into this world and strengthen our brethren. May we, Lord God, go to those who feel that they are far from God and there's no way back. May we bring them back, telling our story of your redemption in our lives. And all God's people said, amen. amen. Stand up with me if you would. Before you go tonight, if there's anyone here that you're battling any kind of um, uh, illness uh, in your body, I'd love to have the opportunity to pray for you before you go. I wanna pray tonight too for um, Jim Krieger. Jim is battling some physical stuff some bacteria issues that he's dealing with. And we just want to speak over his body. Amen. And uh, stand in faith for him. Will you pray with me? Father, in the name of Jesus, we speak over Jim. Lord, as he's at the hospital right now, Lord God, and we just...